0: to our listeners in the Big Apple from across the U.S. and around the world. I'm Jeff Goodman, and this is Rediscovering New York, with our second show done remotely due to the coronavirus crisis in New York City. Professionally, I'm a real estate broker with Holstead Real Estate, and I love New York. Rediscovering New York is a weekly program about the history, texture, and vibe of this amazing city that we live in. And we do it through interviews with historians, local business owners, nonprofit organizations, preservationists, local musicians and artists, and the occasional elected official. On many shows, we focus on an individual New York neighborhood. We explore their history and their current energy. What makes those particular New York neighborhoods special? On some shows, like tonight's, we host an episode about an interesting and vital color of the city and its history that's not focused on one particular neighborhood prior episodes have covered the history of US presidents who came from or lived in New York. We've talked about African American history in the city. We've explored the history of women activists and the women's suffrage movement in New York. We've talked about the history of the city's LGBT community and the gay rights movement. We've explored the history of bicycles and cycling, which have been part of the city for more than 200 years, believe it or not. And we've also covered the history of punk and opera in New York. That's punk music, not punks. After the broadcast, each show is available on podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other services. And tonight we are doing one of our special shows. We're going to explore a very special sport in New York and one that's been uh, intensely intertwined with New Yorkers and with the history of the city, and that is basketball. We have two guests tonight. My first guest is Lily Tuttle, who's a curator at the Museum of the City of New York. During her tenure at the museum, Lily has collaborated on numerous exhibitions and publications. She served as associate curator for New York at its core, the museum's long-term signature exhibition, which opened in November of 2016. Most recently, she's curating City Game, Basketball in New York. Previously, Lily has worked as a researcher, writer, and content manager at the New York Historical Society. Lily holds a PhD in American history from NYU, where she worked under the advisement of Professor Thomas Fender and her bachelor's degree in American studies is from Yale University. Her doctoral dissertation was a study of the redevelopment of lower Manhattan between the years 1958 and 1985, that's pretty exact, and examined the convergence of urban design, historic preservation, and public art in that district. Lily Tuttle, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York.
1: Hi, Jeff, it's nice to be here with you.
0: Lily is uh, virtually in from the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Lily, are you originally
1: from New York? I am originally from New York, born and raised. Um, my father was also um, born in New York, lived in New York City for a good part of his childhood, then moved out to Long Island. My mom's from Chicago. Um, and uh, I, I have spent much of my life somewhere in the five boroughs. Um, yeah, native New Yorker.
0: Where did you grow up? What, what part of the city?
1: I actually grew up in Yorkville on the Upper East Side, yeah. you know, uh-huh. we're on like, yeah, 79th Street between 1st and York was where I lived when I was really little. And then when I was older, we lived on 89th and York. So it's, you know, it's a it's a part of the city that's actually changing really rapidly right now due to the the Second Avenue subway. Um, and it's, you know, it's a it's a wonderful neighborhood. Um, Carl Schurz Park is a very special place to me uh, from my childhood.
0: Well, I love Yorkville. In fact, we hosted an episode in Yorkville. Actually, it was a year ago. Um, Jeremy Schaller of Schaller & Weber was one of our guests. & um, and, uh,
2: and,
0: he- and Heidelberg is still one of my favorite restaurants in the city. Uh, I love their chicken Jaeger. <laughs> it's really yeah. good. Not to mention their, uh, uh, their Pilsner. Um, when did you decide that you were going to go into the study of history and specifically the history of things that were New York and New York centric?
1: Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. Um, you know, so I did American studies in college, because I really wanted to do interdisciplinary work, I was interested in literature, I was interested in art and film and history. Um, But history had always really been close to my heart, particularly when I was like a teenager. And I just it was sort of that time when you start figuring out kind of who you are and what motivates you. And for me, um, early on, it was the study of history. And so um, when I got a little older and I got out of college and I traveled a little bit and I, I actually lived abroad for a while, I was starting to think about what I really wanted to do with the rest of my life it, it just all kind of clicked and I felt like studying history studying the city that I love all the different layers and um, communities that make New York such a distinctive and wonderful place um, and then also museums the fact that I'd been going to museums you know growing up in New York it's one of the greatest assets that the city has is its museums and cultural institutions. And so um, I, you know, honestly, what happened was I, I went back to graduate school to get a master's degree. And then I, I was working at the New York Historical Society, and it all just kind of fell into place. And I realized what I wanted to do. And I realized that I was still at a place where I could get a PhD, dive into a subject that I really loved, and then um, carve a path for myself in museum work. Um, that was about 15 years ago. Uh, maybe a little more, actually, and um, that's what I've been doing ever since. Did wow. my graduate studies at NYU and um, started at the museum a few years ago.
0: Well, you and your and your colleagues at the Museum of the City of New York and at also the New York Historical Society, you really are in a special breed. It's always a pleasure to be around you and to uh, and to feel your commitment to the city and its history. Um, when did you join the staff of the of the museum? Was it fifteen years so- ago?
1: It was, no, it was uh, 2012, actually. So I, um, I I was uh, at graduate graduate school at NYU from um, 2006 to the summer of 2012. And um, I was working at the New York Historical Society kind of on and off when I was in graduate school. And then um, I applied for a position at the museum, and it sort of turned into another position and So it will be uh, eight years this summer that I've been at the Museum of the City of New York.
0: Wow. Before we get to the history of basketball in New York, let's talk about the game in general. When was basketball developed or invented? How long has it been around?
1: Basketball's been around for about 120, 30 years. It was invented at a YMCA in Springfield, Massachusetts. If you're ever driving up Interstate 91 and you drive through Springfield, Massachusetts, you will drive directly or take the Amtrak directly past the basketball hall of fame. And, um, it was invented as an indoor sport for the winter time to keep young people active. You know, this was sort of the era of, um, kind of the beginning of organized sports and athletics, a lot of different communities and organizations. You know, this is when Teddy Roosevelt was telling people to, you know, get out and exercise and and live the strenuous life. And so, um, It came to New York also through a YMCA, the YMCA on 23rd Street, but it very quickly blossomed into something that was, you know, much more pervasive along a lot of different communities, a lot of different neighborhoods, a lot of different ethnic organizations um, all across New York City.
0: When would you begin to see a lot of people playing basketball in New York?
1: Well, if you come to the exhibition you'll see we have a lot of images of kids playing in you know neighborhoods like the Lower East Side and some of the immigrant neighborhoods like you know around Seward Park and parts of Brooklyn um you know and and really playing sometimes really organized games but sometimes really just you know a little bit of pickup basketball in a in an outdoor playground Mm -hmm. Um, and you you'll see it you know organizations like settlement houses the Henry Street Settlement um Catholic youth organizations the YMHA um, you know kids are, are playing this all throughout the nineteen teens and twenties, um, and it really sort of picks up in the early decades of the 20th century
0: hmm. well let 's talk about city game. What is city game specifically the exhibition uh, that's um, right now at uh, at the museum
1: Yes, yeah, so city game is an exhibition it 's called City Game of Basketball in New York, and it is an exhibition that celebrates the history, the diversity the dynamism of basketball in New York City. It has um, sort of the, the central core of the exhibition is a chronology that starts at the beginning of the 20th century in that era that I was just describing. Um, runs all the way through to pretty much the present day and kind of the, the you know future hopes and aspirations for New York's three professional teams. We have a section called Proving Grounds, which looks at the ways in which some of the schools and programs and organizations around the city have really promoted um, you know, uh, different levels of talent that have gone on to transform the game globally, you know, the coaches, the players who've who've really come out of New York City's um, various programs, schools and institutions. Um, And then we look at some of the culture of basketball and some of the ways in which the game has really been a catalyst for innovation in the arts and music and in fashion. Um, It's a wonderful exhibition. And I think it's it's really the first of its kind for New York City.
0: When you think about all the different kinds of sports, Lily, that you could uh, that you see New Yorkers play, uh, you know, and I've played a lot of them growing up, um, although I don't play basketball now, um, you could have picked a lot of different sports. What What were some of the driving influences that had you and your colleagues decide that you would pick basketball as the as the sport for this for this exhibition?
1: Sure. So the exhibition came to us actually from an outsider to the museum, um, uh, a professor at Rutgers University named Mark Aronson, who Um, played basketball growing up and um, proposed the idea and said, you know, New York City is really the preeminent basketball city. Um, We're known for, you know, our really top-notch professional baseball teams and maybe less for our professional basketball teams, but there's really an incredible story here um, that goes back to the, the diversity and the immigration that has just been essential to the city's character The fact that the city has over 1800 public outdoor basketball courts is just astonishing for so many of our visitors. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's really amazing and the the different schools and colleges that have been part of just developing this this culture um, across decades. You know, New York was really the center of college basketball in the middle of the 20th century and it's really a dramatic story of kind of the highest highs and the lowest lows. You know, I think a lot of people think about things like stickball or they think about, you know, a lot of different kinds of urban sports, but just shining a light on the role of basketball in New York City and the way it is a a place for people to come together, to meet across different um, social and ethnic boundaries and to um, really kind of learn from each other in public space. Um, It's it's really a a wonderful window into the lens of New York, window into the history of New York City. Hmm. I want
0: to overlap for a minute about uh, 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 professional teams. When when were the first professional teams in a basketball in New York? When-
1: so the first yeah, the first professional teams appear um, sort of in the 1920s and 30s. We talk about a team called the New York Rens or the Re- New York Renaissance that played at the Renaissance Ballroom up in Harlem. And it's it's a wonderful kind of, you know like coming together of different worlds at a really interesting time where the Harlem Renaissance is such an iconic and important time in New York City history, but people don't often associate basketball with the Harlem Renaissance. But if you can believe it, the Harlem Rens were actually a big part of this, um, this just incredibly rich cultural time in Harlem um and they played at the Renaissance Ballroom up on 135th Street and actually what would happen is they would have these dances um and and jazz concerts where they would actually um move the tables away and have a basketball game and then put the tables back and have um you know a band and dancing and so it was really kind of this this you know um multi leveled cultural moment. Um, and, and I think it's surprising to a lot of our visitors that, that basketball was actually a component of the Harlem Renaissance. So we see the Rens in the 1920s. And then another really important team that was actually a great competitor to the Rens is the New York Celtics. Um, and two of the, the key players in the New York Celtics were uh, a guy named by the name of Nat Holman, who was heavily featured in the exhibition, who um, was the child of Russian Jewish immigrants on the Lower East Side, um, and another guy named Joe Lapchick, who was the first uh, coach of the New York Knicks. Um, and uh, as you know, it's probably not surprising the Wrens were an entirely African American team, and the Celtics were an all-white team. Um, but they did play each other, and they did really have a, a very fierce rivalry.
0: Mm. When you know uh, one incredibly famous New York uh, club—I don't know that they're a team per se—but that's uh, synonymous with New York and Harlem is the Globetrotters. When did uh, when did they start, and what was their and what was their genesis? Did they come out of the Harlem Renaissance?
1: No, so this is an interesting fact, actually, we do not focus very much on the Harlem Globetrotters in this exhibition, and I will tell you why. It was surprising to me to learn that the Harlem Globetrotters were actually founded in Chicago, and that they were called the Harlem Globetrotters because Harlem was sort of an adjective and an identity that was thought of as being very cool and very fashionable, but actually there's not that much of a connection between the Harlem Globetrotters and Harlem, if you can believe it.
0: When did they move to Harlem? You, not that we're gonna-
1: I, I honestly, I, I, I have to tell you Jeff, I don't know a lot about the Harlem Globetrotters. There are a few key players who did come out of the Harlem Globetrotters who were very influential in New York. One of them was Nat Sweetwater Clifton, who was the first African-American to play under an NBA contract. He played for the Knicks. You know, he was sort of the Jackie Robinson of the NBA. He had been with the Harlem Globetrotters. Um, But I, um, we, we did kind of, I will totally admit to the fact that the Globetrotters are not terribly present in the exhibition because they don't have actually as much of a strong New York root as some people might think.
0: Okay. now one of the reasons they're uh, top of mind is because Curly Neal just just passed uh, last week.
1: I did so, see that. I did see that he had just passed. Hmm. I know. I know. So it's not, you know, it's not a totally not New York thing, but the, the, the Harlem part of it is actually a little bit misleading.
0: Oh. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Lily Tuttle. She's the curator of City Game, uh, an exhibition that's Uh, You can uh, see virtually and eventually, again, see at the Museum of the City of New York. We'll be back in a minute.
3: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.
0: Our first guest on this special episode of Rediscovering New York about basketball and New York City is Lily Tuttle. Lily is the curator of the present exhibition at the Museum of the City of New York called City Game. Uh, Lily, let's talk about the museum for a minute. The museum is actually owned by this and operated by the City of New York, and it's almost 100 years old.
1: Yeah, so we're a private 501c3, so we're not actually owned by the the city. We sit on city land. What we are is a we're, we're part of the CIG, the Cultural Institutions Group. So it's we 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 sit on city land, um, you know, sort of like the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, and, and you know a lot of other organizations around the city, BAM is, is a CIG. And so um, you know, we have a suggested donation. The city does cover a lot of our operating costs, but um, we are a private nonprofit. We've been around, we're, we're looking ahead to our centennial in 2023. Um, the museum was originally housed actually at Gracie Mansion um, in my old neighborhood uh, near Carl Scherz Park. Um, and our current building uh, opened in 1932. Uh, the, the the museum underwent a massive renovation and modernization program a few years ago. So when I actually started in 2012, the construction was ongoing um, and we opened, you know, sort of kicked off our, our current phase of the completion of the renovation and the opening of New York at its core, which is our, our permanent signature exhibition on the first floor that was in the fall of 2016. So. Um, The museum's really been in a renaissance for the past few years, and um, we do look forward to opening again and continuing to serve the people of New York.
0: And visitors, too. You've got uh, hundreds of thousands of people who visit the museum annually, and your collection's pretty big. Uh,
3: Yeah,
1: so we we have about 300,000 visitors annually, and our collection um, is quite large. We have over 750,000 objects, um, which are all... Not all I should say but largely visible through our collections portal which you can access online. Um, the museum has a very notable photography collection um, We also have a really amazing costume collection we have a lot of um, fashions and textiles from um, you know all different time periods from a lot of different kinds of New Yorkers um, and we really um, you know were're a, a very sort of Vibrant um, center for people to come together for public programs, education programs. The museum serves over 50,000 students, teachers, and caregivers a year through our Schwartz Education Center. So um, we really like to sort of see ourselves as a place to build community and understanding within the city.
0: Hmm. Going back to City Game, what are some of the themes that are included in the exhibition?
1: So I would say that the, a lot of the themes have to do, um, again, with um, the diversity of the city, the density of the city, the fact that, um, you know, the game is a way for people to come together, um, you know, really anyone, you know, if you can get on on the court and you can play, you know, that's really what it's about. It's like a truly democratic, meritocratic sport. Um, I think that we also do really look at culture and the fact that the game, um, I I would wager to say, perhaps more than any other sport, is truly a a catalyst for cultural innovation. Um, We look at sneaker culture and the way basketball has been um, really tied up with sort of the look and the fashion of streetwear. Um, We deal a lot with art and photography, the way the and the players um, across the five boroughs have really inspired artists and photographers in particular. Um, and it's a game that has a very particular soundtrack. It's a game that, you know, going back to, as I mentioned, the era of the Harlem Renaissance and, you know, Duke Ellington and take the A train all the way up to Jay-Z and Queen Latifah. Um, you know, we really highlight the fact that the game has kind of a look and a sound that's very unique and very New York
0: what would you say are some of the more interesting pieces in the exhibition that, uh, especially ones that one might not guess are there when you come across them?
1: Sure. So we have, um, you know, as I mentioned, uh, the city has, uh, over 1800 public outdoor basketball courts, and we were really privileged, um, and honored that the New York city department of parks and recreation donated a backboard and a hoop, uh, to the museum for us to utilize in the exhibition. They, um, they they make these boards and hoops um, in a foundry. I think uh, this one came from the Bronx. It's like a really signature New York thing that these are made um, by New Yorkers in New York. New and York
0: backboards and New York hoops. That's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there. Yeah. It's a it's a great story. And once you know, once you once you start seeing them, and once you kind of know what they look like, um, you can, you realize how ubiquitous they are, and they have this very signature look. Um, and they're really they're like a big reinforced double rim. And I've, you know, I've heard from players that there, there's no, there's no rim like the New York rim. You know, you can really, it really can take a beating. Um, but then what I, I was thinking is that to kind of bring together this artistic innovation with um, the the really the culture of street ball, um, it would be fun to have an artist um, sort of put a, an imprint on, on a board. So we actually, I reached out to the artist, Eric Hayes um, who has had a a long connection to the game and to the the culture of basketball. Um, He actually started out as a graffiti writer, as a young person, but he's worked a lot with Nike and he actually works a lot with the the Brooklyn Nets now. He designed the Nets uh, jerseys and and has done some logo work for them. And so we asked um, Hayes to Paint a board and a hoop for us, and our, you know the, the backboard for us, and so he did, and it's it's really cool, and we have it on view in the exhibition. Um, you know, he painted it by hand back in November. Um, we also have the the Nets uh, statement edition jersey that he uh, designed, that Hayes designed for the team. We were actually able to borrow Kevin Durant's jersey. Um, Kevin Durant, uh, you know, is is a net these days. He will be playing with the team um, hopefully next year. Um, he's, he's currently on the disabled list, um, or he's injured. But um, we also have a, a signed jersey from um, Jeremy Lin's time with the Knicks. We have um, a pair of Spencer Dinwiddie's custom sneakers that are a tribute to Aretha Franklin um, in the exhibition. We have Richard Avedon's portrait of a young Louis Alcindor who went on to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the, perhaps the greatest player of all time in the NBA. Um, we have a lot of um, artifacts and ephemera from CCNY, just one of the most legendary college basketball stories in the whole history of the game. We have the, the trophies from the year that the CCNY won the, both the NIT and the NCAA. Um, I could go on and on. We have shoes from Nancy Lieberman, who's a great New York City player who's now a coach in the NBA. Um and so I think there's just there's a lot of different kinds of materials in this exhibition, a lot of photography, ephemera, jerseys, game balls, trophies. Uh, we made some original video. It's really there's there's really something for anyone, everyone in this exhibition.
0: Well, speaking of video, um, some of that video is now available online, isn't it? Uh,
1: yes, it is. We, how, we went out last summer. What kind of summer. videos
0: are there and, 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 and how can people find them?
1: Sure. So um, it should be on our website. And I think it's also all available on YouTube. So you can if you go on our YouTube channel, you should be able to see the videos. Um, We went out a couple of my colleagues and I went out last summer, and in the fall, and we made a series of videos to really try to capture kind of the contemporary moment and energy and diversity of basketball, you know, in the kind of summer, fall 2019, as we were putting the exhibition together, we figured we needed a way and we needed content to end the story and bring it up to the present. So for example, we went out and we filled a a, filmed a great summer basketball tournament at goat park on 99th in Amsterdam called full court 21. It's just a beautiful New York city summer night, some great players from around the world. We interviewed people from Berlin, Hong Kong, um, Native New Yorkers who were playing out in the park that summer or that evening. Um, We went up to Riverdale, um, thanks to Professor Garak, and filmed uh, a wonderful game. Um, Played with the New York City Metropolitan Yeshiva League. Um, Saw some great kids, you know, really uh, having a good time and playing hard and sort of talking about the history of Jewish basketball in New York City. which we we're going to be film. talking
0: about with our second guest, Professor yes, Jeff. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, so I'll let, him,
1: I'll let him speak to that. Um, we filmed some women who get together on Wednesday nights and play just to get mm-hmm. together and celebrate the game and, you know, the sisterhood of playing together. Um, and then, um, you know, we filmed the Roland Knicks, the New York Roland Knicks, the New York's premier wheelchair basketball team, um, a couple of Paralympians mm-hmm. on that team. Um, they had us come up for a, a practice um, at St. Mary's Rec Center one night in September, and it was just awesome.
0: Mm. Well, speaking of ancillary materials for the exhibition, you have a companion book, one that's actually really quite something. You wanna talk about that and how people can get it?
1: Yeah, so we have a beautiful book. Um, it was published by Rizzoli. Um, it's sort of like a coffee table book, a lot of photography, some really great essays. Um, we did uh, first-person interviews. The book is edited by Bill Roden, um, who is uh, formerly with the New York Times. He's currently with the Undefeated. He's really just a absolutely preeminent new, uh, sports journalist. Um, we have essays um, again by uh, Jeff Garak. We have an essay from Papito Garcia, uh, an essay by Thomas Beller, who has written a lot in the New Yorker about um, basketball uh, and the idea of the city game. We have a, um, Essays about the CCNY point shaving scandal. Um, some, you know, reflections on what it's like to be a young girl playing street ball. We have interviews with legends like Tom Kinchowski, um Kenny Smith, uh, uh, Shamique holdsclaw and loads and loads of like maps, illustrations, stuff about trash talk, which is a huge part of New York City basketball culture. I haven't even talked about yet. Um, and it's a it's a beautiful book. It was actually designed by our exhibition designers, a firm called We Should Do It All. They did both the exhibition and the, uh, the book. Um, the book is available currently on the museum's website. I think it's also available on Amazon.com. Um, it's it's a wonderful um, gift, memento. It's a great way to connect with this topic right now while the museum is unfortunately not open to the public. Um, and I think it's it's really the first of its kind of a, of a major publication that looks at New York City basketball, both through images and words.
0: And is it called City Game?
1: It's called City Game, and oh. it has a foreword by Walt Clyde Frazier, oh. all about what it meant for him to come play in New York. Yeah,
3: mm.
1: we're very honored to have his his name associated with
0: the book. Well, I, you know, on a personal level, I, I grew up uh, being a Knicks fan in the late 60s. My dad used to go with his buddies and sometimes one of them couldn't go. So uh, I would have the pleasure of, uh, uh, of going to the Garden. You know, not that I want to talk too much about professional sports, but but when did, you know, that famous New York arena, Madison Square Garden, which is actually its fourth incarnation right now, when yeah. did basketball start getting played at Madison Square Garden?
1: So Madison Square Garden was actually um, really renowned um, for college basketball um, in the heyday of college basketball, sort of in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. That that when the Knicks first started, um, you know, the team was founded in 1946. They they didn't have the attraction and the audience, if you can believe it, that the New York City college basketball teams had. So it was actually the great matchups, the triple headers, double headers, triple headers, often New York City teams playing each other. Um, at the, at the garden, at the old garden. Um, And it wasn't until sort of later on, um, and particularly with the, the, the development of the the current Madison Square Garden um, over by Penn Station that we saw the Knicks really take over. Um, So, you know, the Madison Square Garden, I think, you know, in the 1940s was just an incredibly vital, you know, packed, energetic, really dynamic place uh, for basketball, but it was really college basketball that was the thing that um, drove people to the garden at that time.
0: Mm. Well, um, we're out of time, Lily. Our first guest has been Lily Tuttle. Uh, She's the curator of an exhibition at the Museum of the City of New York called City Game, Uh, it is there. It is scheduled to be there until January of 2021. Uh, You can see it when the museum opens again, when life returns uh, a little bit more to normal in New York. And what's the uh, website address of the museum, Lily?
1: Sure. So our museum, uh, the website is uh, mcny.org. That's Museum of the City of New York. M like Mary, C like city, NY.org work um, you should check out all of our social media pages our youtube channel we have a lot of digital content up right now um, and we just we so look forward to reopening and welcoming visitors um, from all over to this wonderful exhibition but in the meantime check out our digital content check out our social media um, grab a copy of the book and just get excited for all that you will be able to see hopefully in just a few months
0: well, Lily Tuttle, thank you so much for being on Rediscovering New York tonight, especially remotely from um, uh, your uh, uh, out home in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania. Thanks. I, yeah,
1: yeah. We're gonna
0: we're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to visit with our second guest on the special episode of Basketball in New York City. We'll be back in a minute.
3: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day.
0: Rediscovering New York. Support for the program comes from our sponsors, Christopher Pappas, Mortgage Specialist at TD Bank. To find out how Chris can help you with all your residential home mortgage needs and tailor a mortgage that's right for you, please call Chris at 203-512-3918. And support also comes from the Law Offices of Thomas Sianka, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. Tom and his staff can be reached to 212-495-0317. Our show is about New York, its history, and the myriad textures of our amazing city. There's another great show on the air about New York and specifically about the business of real estate. Good Morning, New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco, my friend and colleague at Halstead. Vince's show airs live on Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. on voiceamerica.com and also on podcast. You can like this show on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handles there are Jeff Goodman NYC. If you have comments or questions, or if you'd like to get on the mailing list, please email me, Jeff at York.nyc. One of note before we get to our next guest, even though Rediscovering New York is not a show about the real estate business in New York, when I'm not on the air, I am indeed a real estate agent in this amazing city. I help my clients buy, sell, lease, and rent properties. If you or someone you care about is considering a move into, out of, or within New York, I would love to help you with all those real estate needs. You can reach me and my team at 646-306-4761. Our second guest is Professor Jeffrey Garak. Jeff is a professor of American history at Yeshiva University, where he has taught for 43 years. For almost 25 years, he was an assistant basketball coach of the men's basketball team at YU, He's an expert on the history of New York neighborhoods, past and present. His most recent book appeared in October of last year, entitled Park Chester, a Bronx Tale of Race and Ethnicity. He has also written and lectured extensively on the history of Jews and sports in America, including a book called Judaism's Encounter with American Sports, which we're going to talk about a little this evening. Professor Garak was pleased to be on the Academic Advisory Committee in planning the Museum of the City of New York's City Game Exhibition and has contributed to the exhibit book of the same name that Lily talked about that's available online. Jeff Garak, a hearty welcome to Rediscovering New York.
6: Yes, Here I am. You.
0: Wonderful. Excellent. Wonderful. Thanks nice to be back. We're back. Thanks for bearing with us, Jeff. My, We've got pleasure. My pleasure. Traits of true New Yorkers through thick and thin, through anything, we stick around until the job gets done. That is correct. Anyway, I was saying you're originally from New York, aren't you?
6: Well, I grew up in the in the Bronx, where I acquired my distinctive Bronx dialect, uh, which is a sophisticated Bronx dialect. And, you know, this new book that you were kind enough to mention is about Parkchester, a community in the East Bronx. And for the last 40 years, my wife and I and family have lived in Riverdale, New York. And we are part of a chain migration of Jews and others who migrated out of this uh, wonderful community in Parkchester and established homes and communities in Riverdale so I'm a Bronx boy by disposition by education by orientation and lifestyle and uh, I love the Bronx and I love writing about it and living in the Bronx uh, uh, Yankee Stadium was one of my favorite places to go my uncle had a shoe store on Morris Avenue he was a cheapskate he used to give me a dollar to go to the Yankee game I'd wait outside and uh, I'd beg for tickets and sometimes when I go to Yankee games, I give tickets to young people who look for tickets, although the tickets today are far more expensive than it was back in the 50s when I was growing up. So that's my beat.
0: You couldn't get a ticket for a
6: buck from the box office back then? Um, there more? I, think it was, I think it was a buck and a half for a uh, bleacher ticket. That's for sure.
0: Oh, I remember the old Yankee Stadium, but not to get into a little baseball duel. Uh, Having grown up in Brooklyn, we were Mets fans. (laughs) I was growing up, even though you're you're
6: younger than me. It was the Dodgers and Giants of the the Dodgers for Brooklyn and the Yankees for the Bronx. So that's a uh, that's a Bronx tale too.
0: Well, my mother's grew up in Coney Island, and she still rue's the day that the that the Dodgers <laughs> went west and left Ebbets Field, Well, you know, Brooklyn for west the it, West Coast. It
6: was, a, it was a turning point in the history of the borough. There's no question about it. And uh, it was a long time uh, before the uh, uh, Brooklyn got over the fact that they lost the the Bubs to uh, to L.A. And there are all the people who will not root for the Dodgers because they remember what it was in Brooklyn, but this show is about basketball, not about baseball.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, I couldn't, couldn't help it. Yeah, you still have uh, uh, old-time Brooklynites who were still pissed off at the Dodgers. Anyway, uh, it wasn't their fault. It was the management. But uh, anyway, uh, speaking of New York in general, when did you decide that you would go into the, the study of the field of history and specifically American Jewish history, Jeff?
6: Well, first of all, I was a student at City College of New York in the 1960s. It should be interesting to tell you that my wife and I met at City College, and we paid $37 a semester. That was the entire nut to go to the Free Academy, a great school, a great school, a a diverse school, a a, uh, school that, that hallowed egalitarianism. So I went to Columbia, majored in history, went to Columbia University where I acquired my Ph.D., i worked with the great urban historian, Lily Tuttle knows him as well, Kenneth T. Jackson. And my interest was in studying New York's history with a specific orientation to the Jewish component therein. The interesting thing about this Parchester book is there's the first time where Jews are not in the center of the story. We're part of a larger tableau of a neighborhood which was Italian, Irish, and Jewish and off limits to African-Americans and Latinos. And today it is a multicultural neighborhood. So one of the things that interested me was the intersection of different ethnic groups over the course of time. And uh, this basketball exhibit gave me a chance to talk about some of those issues as well within the sport that I love, which is basketball. I played basketball. As you mentioned, I coached basketball. I have a son who coaches basketball. And Lily Tuttle, Tuttle was kind enough. She mentioned she did a video of his team squaring off against another Orthodox Jewish team uh, in Riverdale this summer. And the reason we did this was, in my view, and I think Lily agreed, was when I played in this league, which was called the Metropolitan Yeshiva High School League over 50 years ago, none of the players wore kipot yarmulke's head covering. Today, almost all the players wear is when they play basketball so my generation loved basketball my son's generation loved basketball he's coaching basketball but the culture of basketball is sublime and continuing but the way they express themselves jewishly is different so i was very gratified i'm truly gratified that lily was sensitive to the idea that the jewish story should be part of the largest story of basketball in new york city and in fact among the artifacts in the exhibit are a handful of yarmulkes, of kipot of head coverings with the logos of the play, of the schools that play this game. So through a little artifact like wow. a you can tell a larger story. And I think the exhibit throughout throughout the exhibit, it's an attempt to use the metaphor of sports to talk not only about basketball, but about our city and how it's evolved. And I want to make one other initial point. Uh, Lily talked about how unimportant professional basketball was back in the 40s and 50s. The first game I ever went to as a kid with my dad and my brother was a Nick game that was held at the 69th Regiment Armory. I think that's 68th Street off Lexington Avenue, yeah. right in Hunter College, okay? Why was the, why was the Knick game there? Because the Ringing Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus preempted the, (laughs) preempted the uh, Knicks from having the game there. And we sat in the front row. Very few people were there and we watched Richard Guerin of the Knicks play against Adolf Dolph Shays. Dolph Shays was the greatest Jewish basketball player ever to play in the NBA. Moreover, He was the all-time leading scorer in the NBA until a fellow named, uh, what was his name, Wilton Chamberlain eclipsed his mark. Uh So that was pretty exciting for me as a kid. And my first game Mm -hmm. at the Garden was a year later in 1957 when the Israeli national team made its first visit to the United States and they played a basketball game against Yeshiva University. And now we sat in the upper stands of the garden, and as Jews, we were so proud to see blue and white uniforms. The Israeli flag and the American flag It was a very important cultural moment that my parents wanted to impress upon my brother, and upon me. So Ooh. basketball has been in my blood uh, my entire life. And I was just thrilled to get a phone call from Lydia saying, we want to hear your voice as part of the larger voices that are part of this exhibit.
0: Hmm. Well, Jeff, there is an emphasis in the exhibition on the multicultural nature of basketball in New York, and indeed it is a multicultural sport. Um, and you do have a special interest in the history of Jewish players in the league. Um, how did, and when, when did, did Jewish boys start playing the game in the city?
6: Well, as Lee mentioned, the, the game of basketball began in Massachusetts but his hotbed of basketball was really the settlement houses of New York City, Henry Street Settlement House, Educational Alliance, other types of settlement houses. And their Jewish boys often, by the way, without the approval of their parents, flocked to these games and they they predominated for the longest time. They learned to play a specific style of basketball, which I'll talk about in a few moments. And that was where the game really began to blossom. And it became known until the 1950s, almost 1950s, as basketball was a Jewish game. In fact, Jeff, it's sort of interesting. Sports writers write things very differently today than they did back then. During the 1930s, there was an acerbic uh, sports writer for the, I think it was the New York Post, his name was Paul Gallico. For your listeners, he was an earlier incarnation of Howard Cosell. Howard Cosell was also Jewish, by the way, and was you know, very, very popular in the 1960s and 70s. Anyway, Gallico wrote an article in which he says, why are Jews so good at basketball? And he said that because the nature of basketball requires smart, alecky playing, underhanded types of, of activities and all sorts of things that the Hebrews namely the Jews are particularly adept at that. Now, this was an anti-Semitic canard, but you should know, by the way, that during this time period, the use of ethnic slurs was very much part of the writing of sports in New York. For example, probably well, maybe undoubtedly the greatest uh, uh, Italian-American athlete happened to be a baseball player named Joe DiMaggio. He was often referred to as the Big Dago, which is an ethnic oh, slur That wouldn't get anywhere today. So mm. what truth was it that were Jews very much involved in basketball? Well, here's another factoid.
0: Well, we, actually, we're gonna take a, a quick break, Jeff. I, we're at break time. And when we come back, we're gonna continue our conversation with Jeff Gurak of Yeshiva University, who is regaling us with stories about basketball and Jews in basketball. We'll be back in a moment.
3: Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day.
5: I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com.
2: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
3: talkingalternative.com
6: to Rediscovering New York in our special episode about basketball in New York. My second guest
0: this evening is Professor Jeff Garak at Yeshiva University, who's not only the professor of American Jewish history at YU, but he also has an intense interest in basketball and helped coach YU's men's basketball team for several decades. Um, Jeff, who are some of the other more famous Jewish players in basketball over the years?
6: Well, as Lily mentioned, the uh, the first really notable Jewish player was Nat Holman. And she's correct in saying that she played with he played with Joe Lapchick uh, on the original Celtics. And then he became for almost 40 years the iconic basketball coach at CCNY City College of New York, which was known as the Proletarian Harvard or Jewish Harvard. And over the course of some 40 years they had only seven losing seasons. And as indicated by Lily in In 1950, they won the double championship, never to be uh, duplicated, winning the NIT, which was bigger than the NCAA, by the way, in terms of popularity. Uh, They beat Bradley in both finals. It was an interesting backstory to their victory. In the uh, quarterfinals of the NIT, CCNY, with a lineup of three Jews and two African-Americans, squared off against Kentucky all white Kentucky and Holman is a pretty smart guy. And he said to his players before the game starts, when they line up, extend your hand to shake hands with the, the white players. And they did. And the Kentucky players refused to shake hands with these Jews oh. and blacks. And this is a time when the coach of uh, Kentucky, Adolf Rupp, Adolph Rupp was coming Four years after the Holocaust, or five years after the Holocaust, into a city of Blacks and Jews. And I'm pleased to tell you that City College won by 37 points. (laughs) That's great. It was the greatest (laughs) victory in City College's history. They went on to win the NIT, the NCAA. And the word on the street about this victory, which is in my article, which Lily was kind enough to publish was, that when City College won that championship, the kids at City College said, it wasn't that the players won for us, it was us who won the championship. In other words, there was a sense of reflected glory that we, an integrated school, during an era before Brown versus Board of Education. Right, the yes. segregated era, this is Jews and Blacks playing together and You know, it it was a high point. A year later, sadly enough, the basketball scandal hit New York City.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, you were especially versed in the scandals that took place in New York basketball. We have a couple of minutes left. I was wondering if you could tell us about about some of those.
6: Well, sadly, sad to report that many of these basketball players spent their summers at at the Jewish Bosch Belt in the Catskills, where they played and they got involved with gamblers and they came back to the city and they started shaving points. Shaving points means that they won beneath the, uh, the point spread, okay? By the way, when this happened, our friend Adolf Rupp said that the New York gamblers, and you can put in quotation marks, New York Jewish gamblers can't touch my boys with a 10 foot pole. A year later, the scandal hit. The scandal hit Kentucky and other schools Everybody was making money. You know, today we talk about whether or not college players should be paid. When these kids saw that everybody was making money, they said, How about us? And I think today, if this would happen, uh, the players would say, When the cops arrested them, speak to my lawyer. They panicked and they were banned from the NBA. And uh, there were several scandals where the NBA wouldn't let these players back in. Later on in his life, Floyd Lane of City College would, became the coach of City College in the 1970s. And when he was introduced, 78 years old, uh, Nat Holman was still, in the, was, still in the, uh, was still in the audience. And I want to say one other thing about integration. One of the reasons uh, this was a Jewish game before it became an African-American game was not only because of the proficiency of some of the African-American players, but because there were, there were barriers to having the best players playing for the best teams. The rule was, in quotation marks, that you don't start five Blacks because fans don't want to see five Blacks playing. <coughs> Excuse me. And in fact, in our own day, I think it was in 1970s, when the Knicks started at an entire African-American team, I want to say this properly. Some people refer to them as the N-bockers. I won't articulate what N means, but your listeners know what I'm talking about. Mm. So this transformation of the game has a lot to do with issues of integration, segregation, and again, it's in my wheelhouse of my interest as a scholar to study race and ethnicity in New York City. And this was a great tableau for me to do this uh, under Lily and some wonderful people. And Bill Roden did a great job <clears throat> one other point. When I was at this meeting, yeah. I only, at one minute, I felt very old because I s- sat next to Rod Strickland. And when Lily asked him, what is the New York style of basketball? He talked about Dr. J and, and Tony Archibald and Kareem. And I said, oh, by the way, don't forget Nat Holman, mm-hmm. who was the teacher of Red Holtzman, who was the coach of the two Nick championship teams when we still had professional basketball in Manhattan. Or I guess we still oh. have it, but, but but barely so.
0: Wow. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for regaling us with your stories and the history of some of the lesser known parts about basketball in New York City and about the sport professionally. Um, my second guest tonight on this special show about New York City and basketball has been Professor Jeff Garak of Michigan University. Jeff is a published author, and you can read about his books online. Well, we've just finished this week's journey to basketball. Um, if you have comments or questions about the show, or if you'd like to get on a mailing list, please email me, jeff at rediscoverednewyork.nyc. You can like us on Facebook, and you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My handle's there at NYC. Once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Chris Pappas, mortgage banker at TD Bank, and Tom Siaka, who specializes in wills, estate planning, probate, and inheritance litigation. One more thing before we sign off I'm Jeff Goodman, a real estate agent at Halstead in New York City. And whether you're selling, buying, leasing, or renting, my team and I provide the best service and expertise in New York City real estate. To help you with your real estate needs, you can reach us at 646 306 4761. Our producer is Ralph Storier, our engineer is Sam Leibowitz. Mm-hmm. Our special consultant is David Griffin of Landmark Branding. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
3: Hey, all you crazy listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at
2: Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
4: Every Tuesday live at 7pm we focus on a particular neighbourhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7pm on talkradio.nyc.
3: You're listening to The Talking Alternative Network.